Coming up, we discuss Spencer Dinwiddie. Does he have a long-term future with the Brooklyn Nets? And if not, what is his defined role in the upcoming season? We dive in next. You are locked on Nets. You are locked on Nets, your daily Brooklyn Nets podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Ah, yes, my friends, it is the Locked On Nets podcast right here on the Locked On Podcast Network. It's your team, the Brooklyn Nets, every single day. Over there, you're going to find Doug Norrie. He's the owner-operator of DFSR for all your daily fantasy sports rankings from DraftKings to FanDuel. He's got you covered. I'm Adam Arbrick, bringing the New York football giants on the One Giant Podcast and your New Jersey Devils on the Devils Puck Luck Podcast. We thank you for making us your first listen of the day. We are absolutely free on all those great platforms. And Doug. The topic of conversation as you and I continue to work our way through the offseason, we've kind of paced this through player by player, role by role, and we find ourselves scratching our head a little bit when it comes to Spencer Dinwiddie because I think there are different versions of this player that exist, at least in our minds, as a as a two p- people that have covered the Brooklyn Nets now <laughs> in the Spencer Dinwiddie era and then beyond it in the return of him now in this different incarnation. It's interesting how we've kind of gone a lot of podcasts at this point and not really honed in on Dinwiddie, even though he, one, was a pretty vital member of the of the team last year, just in terms of minutes and overall role, and, you know, is trending to have a pretty big role again this season. And, you know, when we talked about the team, often we'll just kind of just sort of trend toward the other guys. And that, to some degree, it's probably because I think we know what we're getting from Dinwiddie. So I think it's maybe maybe on mm-hmm. some level, like sort of a known quantity. And I think some of it has to do with maybe what his future or lack thereof, you know, holds for the Brooklyn Nets. But I think it's a it's an interesting topic going into this season and one that can probably be looked at a bunch of different ways to some degree to come down to sort of how you feel about him as a player, which I can definitely see both sides of the, I can definitely see both sides of this Dinwiddie coin, which we're going to get into. Yeah, I think it's weird because when we go back to the pre-superstar era of Brooklyn Nets basketball, I I have as a pure from a pure fan perspective, a memory in my mind of Spencer Dinwiddie being a part of this comeback kind of crew. When you get into the Kevin Durant era, there was, remember, a little bit of a sense of can he play well with these guys or are the superstars happy with with the way Spencer Dinwiddie serves his role? And was Spencer Dinwiddie quite frankly satisfied with his role with that team? So he goes away Now he returns, and I think the biggest thing, as we'll talk about the stats that support, I think, both sides of the coin here for him, the biggest thing that I came across just in in thinking about him is age because we've clearly defined what you and I think this organization should be doing. You're trying to win games now. You want to be competitive, but you need to be developing young players. They've added a lot of guys this offseason in that vein and then be around Mikhail Bridges and around Cameron Johnson for their timeline. Well, Spencer Dinwiddie is with – Dorian Finney-Smith and Royce O'Neal, 30-year-old dudes on this roster that we label and talk about as guys that should be very much attainable for other teams. I don't know why, but at least in this moment, as we we start to break it down, I have always kept Spencer Dinwiddie in a separate category of some kind. Like I just don't look at him that way, and I think maybe it comes down to the fact that he was here when he was younger 
And I, I somehow have disassociated the fact that he is now a 30 year plus player. And he was always, and remember too, it's really interesting about him too. He was always sort of kept aside from that from that group of guys because he got hurt the year they were going to make the run. Yes. The, the year that looked like they were going to make the run, he and they really could have used him in that playoff series when everyone got hurt, like Harden and, and Kyrie. I, I actually think if Dinwiddie had, he was on recovery at that point, if he had been able to play, I actually think they beat the Bucks. Like they kind of like he, he was sort of the exact guy they needed near, down near the end. They needed like one more score, right? Like and so, but it, it is interesting because when you think about him, yeah, he does sort of sit apart from sort of all iterations of the Nets in a weird way and some of its timing and some of that he left and you know signed somewhere else and then came back it's just like it's a really really unique situation and I, I and I think it's the reason why you're right like he sits like he sits siloed sort of in his own compartment when it comes to Nets both as like a team member not like a team member I think he like he gets along with everybody but like how fans view him and how we view him sort of sits separately from a lot of other different iterations and it's really interesting but you make the you make the best point just to start is that the age you know, he's he's in a contract season. He's 30 years old. It's unlikely he fits like the future timeline for him for this team. And so we could be looking at the final season or even part of a season for Spencer Dinwiddie. And at the same time, while he's on the team, it's very likely that he goes and plays another very big role with this team. Right. So it's just, again, another very interesting. We just walk into a situation for the season where Dinwiddie sort of is a a man amongst himself in terms of sort of context and narrative. And it's just really interesting. And it's worth reminding everybody that he got the $20 million final year of this contract guaranteed based on number of games played in the previous season. So we know that he's locked into that. Now, again, you can draw the parallel to a Royce O'Neal who's making 9.5 million. And we talk about him as saying, Hey, expiring contract. Like you got to think about this now, maybe the money and we'll get into this a little bit later. Maybe that, that, changes the perspective on it but we even heard some rumblings along the way this offseason that the nets were potentially considering or thinking or discussions might happen around an extension for spencer dimly there seems to be something before we get into like the stats around whether or not he's the right fit the good fit and what it'll be for the nets there does seem to be something around i think when he came back in the dallas trade Yes, he was a good piece to get back among the most valuable pieces you could get back from Dallas, I think, along with Dorian Finney-Smith. But we always talk about this with the Nets, like re resetting their timeline. Yeah. There's something about Spencer Dinwiddie coming back to the team that just felt like, again, I'm not diminishing his on-court ability, but it also felt like a nostalgia grab for the organization to say, Maybe we never wanted to part ways with him. Part of that was the money that he was going to make. Remember, we gave him the contract and then helped facilitate the trade. So we got him paid and sent him off. We were willing to give him that contract. It just wasn't going to work with all of our frameworks. So I, there's some element to that to me that speaks to the organization saying, we always thought this player had a role with us. And in the grand scheme of things, it may just come down to dollars and cents and where they are. Unlike a Dorian Finney-Smith or a Royce O'Neal that exist inside of different vacuums. One guy gave away draft capital to bring him in for a superstar team that doesn't exist anymore. And Dorian Finney-Smith maybe just represents the value contract and a controllable asset that you get back in a trade. So coming up here in a second, we'll dive deeper on the stats around Spencer Dinwiddie, the things that frustrate us as a player from Spencer Dinwiddie, and whether or not he's defined as a starter in coming this upcoming season or getting back into that maybe explosive bench role we've seen him have before. 
All right, before we get into that, tell you about our friends over at FanDuel. You can take your first swing at betting MLB on FanDuel. You can get 10 times your first bet amount in bonus bets up to $200. All you got to do, you bet 20 bucks and you can land $200 in bonus bets. And here's the key over on FanDuel. Win or lose is 200 You can spend betting everything from the MLB money line, the over-under. Maybe you can get into those home run props, the strikeout props. They've sliced and diced this thing every which way for whatever game you're watching over there on FanDuel. It's all on an uh, app that's safe, secure, super easy to use. When you win, you get paid instantly. They even have some, um, some NBA future bets up there as well with Mikhail Bridges up there, some win totals. We went back and talked about that in a previous podcast. It's all there for you on FanDuel. No better place to bet. On MLB than FanDuel, America's number one sportsbook. Sign up today to visit FanDuel.com slash locked on. Get up to $200 in bonus bets. It's FanDuel.com slash locked on. FanDuel, official partner of Major League Baseball. Okay, so when we talk about Spencer Dinwiddie, the 30-year-old starting point guard for the Brooklyn Nets over the last 27 games of this previous season, to encapsulate where he is from a stat standpoint and get into kind of what the advanced numbers tell us about him as a player and what his role could be, a reminder that even over the entirety of the 2023 season, which goes back to Dallas as well, he was a 17-point scorer. That was the second-highest point total of his career. Those numbers shifted a little bit coming over to Brooklyn, obviously. And we saw a different type of player not playing with a Luka Doncic, right? Being in a primary role, a facilitator role, where he set career highs over those last 27 games in the assist category. What is it inside the numbers that confirm, Doug? The old eye test says Spencer Dinwiddie's a bit of a hucker and a chucker, and I think the numbers bear out that that's one of the most frustrating parts of his game. Well, you know, I, I think if if we were to probably get into the fan, into the you know, we're we're talking about this like fans, right? We watch the games and like we we know what the frustrations are, and I think that the Dinwiddie frustrations, mm-hmm. one, they stem from. Uh, a really inefficient playoff series that is the lasting taste in a lot of Nets fans' mouths, right? Like, and that's that's for starters. I'll get into the stats in one second, but I know yeah. for sure, you, as as in any sport, you are only as good as the last time we saw you on the court. And for Dinwiddie, it, you know, for the for the most part, it, it was it was somewhat rough uh, in the playoffs, even though the last game it wasn't terrible from a, a, an efficiency standpoint, but. That series was set up really poorly for the things he does well with Embiid on the court, and I think that they're like that's sort of the lasting taste. But I saw you're going to say something, so we'll do, just say it real quick, and I'll get into some of these stats. Yeah. But like I know, I know for a fact that like the things that bother Nets fans about Dinwiddie, and the things that even frustrate us too, like about Dinwiddie. Um, well, I, I'll tell you right now, a lot of it bears out in like what the stats are. Like this is one of those ones where eye test meets the rubber meets the road with eye test and <laughs> analytics, hundred um, percent, oh, which I'll get into. Yeah, just on the on the uh, Philadelphia playoff series because you even said it there. We we said going into it, this was a bad. It's a bad we matchup for Spencer yeah. Dinwiddie. So we kind of knew that it was going to look bad, and it did look bad. This is where my my fan, the fan part of my brain, and then my objective, just like observer part of my brain, uh, analyzing goes. Man, if you're going to take a four game playoff sample size and ignore again a certain element of his game that he showed that he never had really showcased before over 27 games i always find that hard i understand why it's the most recent but in totality like his body of work coming back to brooklyn to me really spoke to a guy that can still have a nice impact and a role on this team even though i know these numbers that you're going to give us in a second here are going to tell us that there are yes warts on his game well so real quick so on a very high level the efficiency dropped pretty severely when he came from dallas he was a 40 he was 40 
40, basically 40 plus percent from three on lock for two seasons, two plus seasons, and then drop down to 29%. I mean, you want to say that's a yep. function of not having, you know, the best offensive engine basically in basketball and Luca where you're getting a lot of easy shots. I think that's probably one for one though. The 29% falls much more in line with basically what happened for them the rest of the career. I think I'm ready to say that the Dallas years for his three point shooting were the outlier. Like this is like the re- the reality for him is more like 32, 33% from three. Fine. Okay. That's just, that is just what it is where it kind of increased just another high level was the assist level. The assist numbers with Brooklyn jumped way higher than we'd ever seen in, in his career. He was among the league leader in assist and assist rate over the final couple months of the season, basically from God, it was like hard and Halliburton and, and Trey young. And that was it. Like it was like the, the, that was the group. And those other guys are who you would see, say are some of the best distributors in all of basketball and Dinwiddie at least from an assist rate was living in that uh, living in that range I do have a question for you when you mm-hmm. when you think of Dinwiddie j- real quick tell me what are the, what do you think we Adam and I did not talk about this off the, we, we knew we were going to talk about Dinwiddie but this specific question I'm putting Adam on the spot what were you off the top of your head first thing that you think of what's the thing you think he does the best and what's the thing you think you get most frustrated with when he does it, I w- I'm going to see if we can just pinpoint this real quick. So, and if you, if you want to pass, don't worry about it. I'll, I'll go through. But thing you think, yeah. like when you think of him doing something well, you're like, oh, it's him doing this. Think of him doing something poorly, it's this. Go. Uh, I think him operating into the into the mid range space, and then whether that's getting a shot potentially or facilitating. I think that's probably the thing that he does the best. I think the thing that he does the worst is. <laughs> Could potentially be. I know it's late shot clock. You know, the, the, the yep. shooting is not always great for him. And I'll even and I'll also add the one B would be his drives to the basket for all of his length and size. I don't think actually yield as high results as they should, though. The free throw percentages getting to the line more was starting to get in the right direction with the Nets. OK, so you're really you're pretty close here. Right. So as a pick and roll ball handler, like so right when he's just running the offense and sort of like what's happening with his efficiency um, as a pick and roll ball handler. He's in like the 30th percentile. It's so low. He was basically the lowest on the team for guys who did enough of pick and roll ball handling, right? So it's like, okay, with you at the at the as the sort of center of the offense to start when you're running pick and roll, which is like sort of necessary in today's basketball. What's happening on those plays? And for Dinwiddie, overall, running that was a was a pretty a pretty big problem, <laughs> right? But where he, <laughs> right. but on the same token, you're like. Oh, if it's just him kind of like taking mediocre defenders and getting to the basket in isolation, he was among the best on the team. Only Kyrie, like for the whole season of Brooklyn, this includes the rant in isolation, the effective field goal percentage, it was like Kyrie and then Dinwiddie, right? So it's like, oh, when it, you know, running a, you know, meticulous pick and roll, that's just not really happening. Like, and that goes into like throwing the lobs and stuff like this that I know everyone goes crazy about. Like the lobs are sort of like that's something that they want to, kind of go crazy um and so like those two numbers really match up it's like it's it's super it's it's decently efficient if he can just get someone really one-on-one in isolation if you're having him run pick and roll it kind of looks pretty bad and then uh you said actually i'm really glad you said this because he has some late in the shot clock numbers so if you look at his late in the shot clock numbers like very late right which is like where it's gonna be always it's gonna always be hard um <laughs> to to get this down like when you look at these numbers it also gets like it also gets pretty bad also right the effective field goal percentage goes i think it was the worst on the team it was basically like the third worst on the team and and he easily had the most attempts <laughs> late in the right. shot clock so you're like oh all these things it might be bad but at least i'm doing a lot of it 
(laughs) Right. And, and sometimes look like late in the shot clock, you have the ball in your hand for a reason because maybe other guys in your team just can't at all. Right. So like you do get sort of stuck into, you can get stuck into poor situations when it comes to that, like where you're just sort of last man standing on a dying offensive possession. And we know the nets had problems with that this season because they just didn't have a lot of playmakers. And that could be a problem here too. But the numbers for Dinwiddie just definitely, definitely bear out in the, like, are we dribbling the air out of the ball? Is the shot clock getting late, <laughs> right? Is yeah. it looking like it's, people might call this hero ball, <laughs> right? Like, if you're trying to define it, these words that, like, sort of can crop up around Dinwiddie, like, it, it, it's it's true, right? This The efficiency goes way down. The time on the ball goes way up. You're not getting great. You're not getting great results from it. Mm-hmm. And that is just kind of what happens. And I think with Dinwiddie, just to put a final put a final pin on this, I think with Dinwiddie, I think that's just like unlikely to change. I think that is what you're getting. And the question now is like, can you live with the parts that he does well, right? Mm-hmm. And understand that these other parts are unlikely to show massive improvements. I think at this point in his age, in his like sort of age arc. Right at thirty, yeah, now at thirty and going, going to be thirty-one years old the upcoming season. I'll say before because we're going to get into what is the role here, right, for Spencer Dinwiddie on this roster. What should the Brooklyn Nets be doing with him to close out this episode? But the two things you mentioned there about the three-point shooting percentage and saying, "Hey, I think it's it was a blip in Dallas, not the trend." Now the concern there would be, as we've talked about this offseason in the additions, well, the Nets didn't add a lot of three-point shooting, right? We talked about the three-point shooting that they lost this offseason, so now. On the one hand, I would like to say, hey, as you come into this season, remember, you asked him to do something different. And you can look at the facilitation and say, well, he really elevated his game in that area. And, and maybe with some of these other pieces, that can be accentuated more. The concern would be that if you're trying to get him back to an, a more of an off-ball role in the backcourt and you want him to be a supporting cast to someone else, a Ben Simmons as the starting point guard, right? Well, now all of a sudden, the three-point percentage, like, that needs to be a big part of your game, potentially, yeah. if, yeah. You're in that, if you're in that lineup. And I think that's probably where – that's where my concern lies now, is for everything that he showed coming back over from Dallas during the, those last 27 games, now the question becomes, can you shift yourself back to this other role, knowing that you are getting a little bit older, knowing that you are going to have less opportunities – which maybe he, he, you know, crystallizes himself a little bit without having as many opportunities for hero ball. But coming up here in a second, we'll dive in on, should he still be a starter? Should he be coming off the bench? Or should the Brooklyn Nets, in fact, be looking to utilize him to improve this team and continue to get younger? Okay, so we had this discussion um, going back, talking about the other day about Ben Simmons and where his role was going to lie, and then we talked about the automatic starting rotation. And you and I both agreed, lockstep. Ben Simmons, Spencer Dinwiddie, Mikael Bridges, Cameron Johnson, and Nicholas Claxton. That's the starting five. I'll start, I'll, I'll put it to you. What should his role? What should his role be? As we look at these numbers and we think about the age and the way that you and I have discussed Dorian Finney-Smith and Royce O'Neal, have we, have we just allowed ourselves to be clouded here where we should have been saying, is there a trade partner? Is there someone out there that would want a Spencer Dinwiddie at $20 million? Where, where do you stand on him now when we really think about the timeline for this team? Okay, so to start to start this season, I would start him. I don't think that's really not even close for me. I, I just think that it's going to be a give more than a, a, you know, a get more than a give situation based. On, and by the way, I really want to qualify this. 
based on the rest of the Nets roster. Like, there's, I do not think Spencer Dinwiddie is like an elite point guard. Okay. I, I be very clear here. I, I don't think, in the scope of the NBA, of NBA talent pool, he is an elite point guard. I think he's well above average. And, you know, the money is the money, and that's that's not going to be a problem for the Nets too much longer. But I, I, or, you know, and I don't, and I don't think they'll resign him. But I, to start the season, I would definitely start him because one, the effort there, I, I've never, the no one will ever question the effort. Two, the mm-hmm. like he still had, provides like just enough length and on ball creation that I think the Nets desperately still need. Um, and really, the alternatives to him in the starting lineup just to me don't look nearly as good. And you're still mm-hmm. putting immense trust in Simmons to like run the offense, which I don't think they can totally do. So I think for me, at least to start the season, Dinwiddie is clear cut a starter. I, like I don't think. I wouldn't even entertain the bench role. I don't even know. I, it's frankly like a little confusing to me why people are even suggesting it based on who what the net the net the rest of the Nets roster. Yeah. After that, I think the great hope here is that like he can do a little more off ball stuff. Maybe if Simmons can come back to some facsimile of like what he used to be and can be this guy that can just get guys three point shots that look okay, that the three point mm-hmm. percentage c- creeps up a little bit more, and he is an enticing trade partner to a team that wants to overpay a little bit for a guy who could be an off the bench guy on a really good team. <laughs> right. Like, yeah. and I think like, that's the, the hope here. Does that make sense? Cause I, I'm trying to say two things. I think he should be the starter to start. And the hope is that they can flip him for assets at the trade deadline. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> because, I, or, I, yeah. Well, and I think because to your point, you don't have now you want to you know everyone's now getting excited this is what everybody does fans do we do you net signed De- uh, Dennis Smith Jr. Uh, okay is that what's that kind of fit there what's it look like let's get into the numbers what does he do well okay let's have him do more of that Lonnie Walker right all these guys but right now on paper as you said Spencer Dinwiddie is the best option that you have and ideally it's Ben Simmons starting and he's there alongside of him now what I think is funny is when you mentioned about it being a blip the success in Dallas Guess what the great part about it is when you come to the trade deadline? A team that has a Luka-level player, right, that has a top 10 talent in the NBA, teams that are trying to go on championship runs, they can look at Spencer Dinwiddie and look at those percentages and say, oh, we can get that, right? The Brooklyn Nets can't necessarily manufacture those opportunities as currently constituted with Spencer Dinwiddie. Other teams can. There might be a dozen teams around the league that say, yeah, Spencer Dinwiddie can be that. And even though on its surface right now, if you said, could you trade him in the offseason, would you? Well, teams saying, do we want the $20 million contract? Not necessarily. Do we want a guy at the deadline where the cost is mitigated, where the assets we're going to have to give up, the draft capital that's going to go out the door here is going to be a lot less because we're going to understand the Nets are looking to get value? 100%. The only difference I think I would give here, if I wanted to take the other side of it, would be between the start of the season and the trade deadline, other things, other players have to clearly develop and define their roles for the Brooklyn Nets in order to make moving Spencer Dinwiddie a viable option. Because if, if, if on paper right now we say, what's the better option than Spencer Dinwiddie playing in the starting lineup? Well, that means you need a better option <laughs> you yeah, know, to be in the starting lineup, right? So whether, and, and that can, by the way, that can be a combination of different things. Ben Simmons being healthy. Now all of a sudden you have this extra length. The team gets longer overall. You go and you look at a Dennis Smith Jr. And you say, yeah, you're undersized, but you can attack at the basket on offense. You do a good job, which Spencer Dinwiddie actually does as well defensively. He is good in rim protection, following players to the basket and staying in front of them. He has some size, has some length. So if you can find those replacements, even if they end up being 
you know, 15 minutes from you, 18 minutes here, and not the full 30 to 34 minutes you maybe would plug in Spencer Dean when you start, then it's okay. But again, we, we talked about this as being a theme. Sean Marks and the Brooklyn Nets are going to try to serve two agendas here. We want to be competitive. We want to make the playoffs. Also, we want to make sure we get younger and develop for the future. And if you just take Spencer Dinwiddie out without having that clear elevation for another player and role, then you could see a bit of a drop-off on the back half of the season for the Brooklyn Nets. To what yeah. degree, we don't know. And that's what I mean. Like, the, there's just there is a drop off in overall talent for like this specific guy on the team. Like, there's no doubt about it. And and maybe that's unfair to Dinwiddie. It, maybe it's unfair to put his like overall skill set to front and center, right? And that's a, and that that could be just a failing yeah. on the organization to like not add more dynamic sort of ball scoring guys. Like, and then you know you have Cam Thomas. But even if you factor in Cam Thomas, like really after that, the drop off is really stark, right? <laughs> in terms of just guys who can just hey. even honestly just dribble <laughs> like just dribble and get there let me make shot. it very clear cam thomas should have been the name getting mentioned here as well right it, does his of game course, develop because that's the guy that plugs in but go but on. even if you so even if you add him you still okay great add him it's him after those two guys at the guard position the shot creation is bad it's just bad like that and and so the yeah. Yeah. so that's just and that's not even necessarily did what he's fault like he is put into a, a situation, I think, to some degree, that's being asked more than his overall skill set. Like, because like you can see a situation right. where Dinwiddie, like down the trade deadline, and this is these aren't going to happen. But there's a there's a world where his specific skill set, because we've already seen it once, really does fit other. Like you like you could put him in Milwaukee right now and have him play with Giannis, like and, and to spell to, uh, to spell like Drew uh, Drew Holiday or something like that. That'd be a great fit. That'd be a great fit there, right? Like there's there's no doubt about it. Probably be a pretty good fit like with a guy like LeBron, right? Like. There are situations where you can look at him like really one to one and say, "Hey, that would actually be a good spot for you." Like the late in the shot clock stuff is not going to be as big of a problem. You're not going to run a ton of pick and roll. We're not going to have you just like sort of like trying to cook guys in isolation. Maybe we see a few less complaining at the referees because he got fouled every single time he ever took a shot, which drives everyone nuts. But like you know what I mean? Like, so there are worlds where his yeah. skill set plays really, really well. It's just being asked to just do a little probably like 20% too much here. And that extra 20% is the 20% that looks sort of bad in the end. Right. And that's just, I don't know. That's just yeah, the, the 20%, but it's not the like 20, the 20% too. Sorry. Go ahead. I'm just, that's it. It's just, it's just like that last bit yeah. is the part where you just kind of got a little too over their skis with like what they need them to do. And that's just, and it stinks and it, it kind of leaves a sour taste in people's mouth and I get it, but it's not all on Dinwiddie in those situations, I don't think. And it's funny because you say that 20% extra you ask makes the overall game look 80% worse, right? Like yeah, that's right, what ends right. up happening. Yeah. You ask this extra couple of things, then you go, well, he's not a good player. No, he is a good player, but he's not, yes. the, he's not that player. And the last two things that I'll say about it is, one, a healthy Ben Simmons in his role potentially mitigates some of that value of Spencer Dinwiddie in the facilitation with the other guys you brought in. And two... This is actually something I hadn't thought about. We've talked so much about Royce O'Neal, 9.5 million. Great guy, could fit in a lot of teams. Well, when you come down to the trade deadline, I do wonder, like you actually probably lump these guys in the same category. How do teams view him, view each of them from a cost standpoint, from a fit standpoint? Royce O'Neal is the far more versatile player, but I can start to paint a picture where if you're the Brooklyn Nets, maybe holding on to Royce O'Neal and the deal is going to expire. Okay, fine. If we move Spencer Dinwiddie, it doesn't necessarily disrupt as many apples in our cart 
where Royce O'Neal can still actually help even fill some of those gaps left behind. So it makes for a really fascinating start of the season, I think, for not just Spencer Dinwiddie, but a lot of guys, because they're going to potentially define their Nets careers over the first month, month and a half of the season. You know where else he'd be good? I was just thinking if they if they decided not to blow it up, he'd be good in Toronto, like playing with Scotty Barnes That's and Pascal nice Siakam. Yeah. Like that, you know, they they have they need guard help bad because it's like Dennis Schrader and Malachi Flynn. Like that's another place where it's like maybe less obvious, but he would really like he would really help them. Anyway, I don't know, that's just a little. I, ironically, part. by the way, I'll just my last note would be if the Brooklyn Nets end up facilitating two contract extensions for Spencer Dinwiddie. And also trade him two times. Like they might do the exact same thing. Let's talk about that extension and the deadline. They send him somewhere else after, by the way, buddy, don't worry. We got you paid two times over. We love you in Brooklyn. We just prefer you playing somewhere else. All right. We love the crypto stuff too. Okay. We're going to get out of here. Make sure you subscribe over on Locked on Nets YouTube. We are on the march to 6,000 subscribers over there. Fewer than 100 away. Let's get this done. Let's get this done. Don't even want to have to worry about this as we head into August. Go over and subscribe to Locked on Nets over on YouTube. And if you're not over there, just subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. It's free on both places. And as we head into the month of August, that's where all the quotes are going to be themed now. August brings into sharp focus and a furious boil everything I've been listening to in the late spring and summer. Why, that is Henry Rollins. Oh, one of the all-time, Hank, one of the all-time great poets. We'll be back again tomorrow talking more Brooklyn Nets basketball.